All right, ready? There they go, Bunquisha, she with Trey, like always. <laughs> he on the down low, I can tell. Break it down, girl. Doctor, doctor, give me the news, I got a bad case of loving you. No pills gonna kill my ear, I got a bad case of loving you. A pretty face, don't make no pretty heart. And welcome back. For the second episode of Happy Pills, I'm Dr. Joshua Severe, and that opening ghetto rendition of Beauty and the Beast was brought to you by our own Mackenzie Fox. I know she just absolutely loved that one. So let's jump right into the big topic of the week. Here we go. All right, so big couple weeks in the world of healthcare. Uh, we just on March 6th got to see the introduction of the GOP health bill that is meant to repeal and replace Obamacare. The process is officially kicked off. The problem is both Democrats and Republicans absolutely hate this bill. It seems like the only support that I'm finding with the new GOP bill is Paul Ryan and a very select few congressmen and senators on his back. Uh, and Trump. He thinks it's great. Best thing uh, in the world. Uh, he, he says that about most things. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure if you asked him any questions about anything in the bill, he would have no idea what you were actually talking about. Yeah. So since you bring that up, I guess let's talk about how uh, Trump care kind of stacks up against Obamacare. Let's do that. So individual mandates, I think that's one of the biggest things that have kind of upset uh, members of the GOP, where the individual mandate um, may not necessarily be eliminated under Trump care. Um, that kind of removes – if we did that, it would remove the incentive for people to sign up for health care. Um, but I also think that was one of the things that Obamacare kind of lacked, and it was having – for it to be – for it to work the way it should, everybody had to be on board. Well, the individual mandate, I that was one thing. When Obamacare came out, it was never been meant to be the end all of health care reform by any means. It was kind of a get-the-ball-rolling bill, and it did, and it helped millions of people and still continues to help millions of people. The biggest problem that I always had with it was the individual mandate, too. Uh, I was never for that, but once you actually dive in and find out why the individual mandate was there, it makes perfect sense. You have to have so many people on healthcare plans to make them as low as they are. The more people paying into it, it drives the cost of these programs down. The point of the individual mandate under what's known as Obamacare, more commonly, uh, what that does is it gives an incentive for people to stay on it, get it and stay on it. That way, if they are on the plan, it has more people to drive the cost down. So the more people that pull off of the plan and pay the fine, actually what you're doing is driving the cost up for everyone. The individual mandate essentially... Uh, it's still there under the new GOP healthcare bill. Uh, it's technically gone as it is written in Obamacare, but what it does now as an incentive, if you come off healthcare, you have to pay a penalty to get back on healthcare if you need it later. So, but the problem is under Obamacare, when you had to pay that penalty, you paid it towards the federal government. That's who got the money to help. And what they did with that money was put it towards the plan to keep the cost low. 
With this plan, under the GOP health care plan, what you do is when you have to pay that fine to get back on the health care service, it goes directly to the insurance companies. So you're kind of just padding their bottom line even more. One of the other things that, that people have been talking about um, is the pre-existing conditions portion. Um, currently, with Obamacare, people with pre-existing conditions cannot be denied coverage or charged higher insurance rates under the ACA. Um, Trump likes the pre-existing conditions requirement of the ACA, but coverage for pre-existing conditions may become more expensive under his plan. And I kind of wonder why that is, too. Um, the cost with the majority of this bill goes up uh i think i think it's great that he wanted to keep the pre-existing condition terms as in the affordable care act obamacare whatever you want to call it uh the same because honestly people if you see in town hall meetings videos online everywhere if it wasn't for that provision in the bill so many people across the country would be dead honestly I mean, absolutely lethal. So it's really great that they're keeping that in there. Uh, I will be curious to see if they end up being putting caps on this pre-existing conditions when it comes to how much it's going to pay out or something like that. Right. Uh, but everything, I mean, it's not just this is causing the plan to go more expensive in comparison to the ACA. Literally everything in this bill is more expensive than it was in the Affordable Care Act. Um, I like the idea that they're keeping pre-existing conditions in, like I said, but uh, at what cost, ultimately? Yeah. So, cost assistance. Um, People who earn up to four times the federal poverty line can get cost assistance to buy insurance in the marketplace currently. Um, That's 85% of the people who sign up qualify for this. Um, Trump's plan may include federal subsidies to help people buy insurance, but those subsidies would be based on age rather than income. So, essentially, it's not going to help anybody who who currently needs help to buy insurance. And the problem with that, the age thing, especially with the new plan, the elderly over the age of 65, their uh, premiums would go up five times what they were normally. This is supposed to be a cost measure, but apparently their rationale was the elderly are what's driving the cost of healthcare up in general. So they're jacking up all the prices for the elderly. So this is ultimately going to be more harmful than good. The way I see this bill, what I end up calling it, my nickname for it is the survival of the richest bill. Like a knock on the survival of the fittest because ultimately the way I see it is if we keep raising the prices up on the elderly people and they can't afford to pay for anything, ultimately they all die and then we won't have to worry about the healthcare problem anymore. That's what I'm seeing out of it, which is unfortunate. I mean, I know that sounds terrible. But when you look at it, the way they're pricing everything out, this is ultimately a survival of the fittest or survival of the richest. I mean, it's just awful. So I think the big one, and I mean, we touched on this a little bit before we started recording, but we can certainly touch on it now, is Medicaid funding. So currently Medicaid funding is based on an open-ended matching system um, that the federal government guarantees at least $1 for every $1 spent by the state. Um, Under Trump, with this new uh, repeal bill, Trump has proposed block granting funding to Medicaid, which means states would get a lump sum of federal money to spend their programs as they see it. I mean, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing because ultimately, I mean, it depends on how you look at it politically. Uh, A lot of people that have more conservative values want less government and I completely agree with that. Give the states more power. Give the states more power. I don't see a single thing wrong with that whatsoever. 
But in doing so, a lot of the states to try to save money are choosing not to expand Medicaid. And the Medicaid program is what's giving a huge, huge population of their people health care across the state. So Mm -hmm. if they don't have this, I mean, these people have nothing ultimately because there are so many people that qualify under that poverty level. And what this does is currently under the Affordable Care Act, the Medicaid expansion is still set to go until – December 31st of 2019, if the GOP health bill passes. And once that happens, it's going to switch over to what's called a per capita cap. So like you were saying, every person that's enrolled under Medicaid has a cap limit per enrollee cutoff limit. So once you've hit that, you don't get additional fundings for that person. That's just what it is. Yes. Um, Medicaid can still be expanded before then, um, which would strain a budget-breaking program that is riddled with, I mean, a ton of problems anyway. Oh, yeah. So I mean, the, the states will still have the option to expand, but it's not going to be – I mean, the per capita system is – oh, man. It's just going to leave a lot of people without. It really is because there are a lot of people that are on Medicaid that are born in really, really – impoverished conditions that have a lot of medical issues and without these coverage throughout Medicaid, they're going to be left hurting. I mean, this is going to lead ultimately to millions without health care and it could kill so many people. Well, and I think we touched a little bit on it um, a couple weeks ago when we talked about Planned Parenthood and and one of the reasons that um, Medicaid is so important is because that's one of the things that keeps Planned Parenthood up and running. And with Planned Parenthood up and running, that serves a population, an underserved population. Oh, for sure. And with this plan, too, I'm glad you mentioned Planned Parenthood again. Bring us back for a couple of weeks ago. Under the new GOP bill, uh, the way it's written currently in the uh, text of the bill, that if it is to pass, all funding through a Medicaid and the people that use that for services like Planned Parenthood, any service that provides abortion services would have funding stripped from it. So it's not because even though abortion services are not covered under Medicaid for Planned Parenthood now, but since that place performs abortion services, mm-hmm. their fu- federal funding will be stripped because of that. All right. So tax <laughs> deductions is another thing. Right now, people can only deduct medical expenses if these costs exceed 10% of the household's adjusted gross income. Uh, under Trump Care, people may be able to deduct the full cost of their health insurance premiums for their federal uh, from their federal tax returns each year. In theory... Honestly, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. Right. But what you're going to see is uh, they're repealing a lot of subsidies and a lot of taxes that go into like the Cadillac tax and stuff like that. We'll talk about that later. But a lot of these tax deductions you're going to see for – it's going to end up benefit the wealthy. I mean they're going to get the biggest cut out of this. And while they're going to get tax deductions for their health care service, it's not going to pay them – the poorer people back in the country – for how much money they spent into this. So the ultimate winners in this are going to be the wealthy 1% of America yet again. And I hate to say it, but it just really seems like the GOP doesn't care about these tax issues and how it's going to end up affecting the uh, poor class people. And as long as it's padding the wealthy pockets. And I'm not saying that as a bias one way or the other politically. I'm going to let you listen to the horse's mouth directly from Paul Ryan himself. Here we go. 
The overview here is that the, all the wealth basically in the last 10 years is stuck to the top end. That's one of the reasons we've had all this political turmoil, as you know. And so kind of a hard sell to say, yeah, we're going to repeal Obamacare, but we're going to send more money to the people who've already gotten the richest over the last 10 years. I mean, that's what this does, no? I'm not a leftist. It's just that's true. I, I, I'm not that concerned about it because we said we were going to repeal all the Obamacare taxes. This is one of the Obamacare taxes. All right. So, yeah, not too concerned about padding the pockets of the rich anymore. They're just going to concerned about rolling back the taxes. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, and I mean, we've pointed it out a couple times, just saying that I think kind of going into this, we knew there was going to be some change to Obamacare. And I mean, for the most part, I don't think, and I don't think anybody does that Obamacare was perfect and that it was the end all be all solution to, to our healthcare issues. Um, but it seems like the GOP was so focused on just repealing it that when they said, no, you really need to find something to replace it, um, they kind of put just a half-assed, you know, quick thing together and said, okay, here we go. And it's it's not really all that different. It's mostly just like Obamacare, but just a couple things changed. Yeah. It's unfortunate that's the case, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um that's one thing that conservatives have really, really hated is the Cadillac tax and everything involved with it. They're talking about introducing more tax reform this summer. That's not a provision that they're super focused on with this bill right out of the gate. That's going to come later. But honestly, uh, a lot of conservatives don't want to pursue this bill just for the fact that that provision's not in there. They're going to leave that Cadillac tax option in there. And uh, like, for example, uh, Senator Rand Paul. Rand Paul absolutely hates it. He's been on a warpath with this bill. Uh, and he actually called the bill dead on arrival because he knows that many of the conservatives involved with the repeal and replace effort have no desire to do anything any with this bill whatsoever because it leaves a lot of these taxes in there. Um, so once again, how about we just go to a clip and let you listen to it from the horse's mouth? Well, it keeps the Obamacare taxes, all of them, for a year, and then it keeps the Cadillac tax forever. These are key provisions of Obamacare, and I don't think that that's a good idea. It also keeps the Obamacare subsidies, but it renames them refundable tax credits. Believe it or not, it also keeps the individual mandate. Instead of paying the government a penalty, you'll have to pay the insurance company a penalty. I predict that that would actually be unconstitutional and may drag the whole thing down. So yeah, straight from Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, completely against the uh, thought of the tax credits and all the taxes along with Obamacare. And that's where a lot of the disagreements coming from with the GOP. Well, so I'll be honest. Uh, We had mentioned the the Cadillac tax prior to, to playing that clip. I actually had no idea what the Cadillac tax was before I started uh, doing research for this podcast. Um, But it kind of surprised me that a 40% tax on lavish insurance will be delayed um, from 2020 to 2025. Um, But the fact that it won't be repealed, well, it's not going to help crazy soaring premiums. I know. And that's why a lot of the senators and congressmen alike just keep calling it Obamacare light, Obamacare light. Uh, And researching stuff for this podcast, I was pulling these clips and I'm finding a lot of people uh, that I was telling you earlier writing in the comments saying, I voted for Trump because I wanted repeal and replace and all you're doing is giving me repeal and Obamacare light. And um, like like you said, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. The uh, Affordable Care Act, it's not perfect. It wasn't meant to. It was meant to get a ball rolling with health care reform because the health care system in this country is absolutely – 
it's horrendous the way it's set up. And I'm not saying we don't have great quality care. The Ameri- uh, United States of America has phenomenal health care, but the cost that we spend on it is absolutely insane. We spend more than $3 trillion more a year than every other country on our health uh, when it comes to their health care. And we're ranked number 37th healthcare system in the entire world. I mean, we're behind places like Costa Rica. Costa Rica has a more established healthcare system that benefits their people more than what the U.S. has. People should not be losing their homes over healthcare. And this is not something that any one bill is going to fix here in the next couple of years. This is going to be a long process. And we're working with the advances in technology and how much care uh, costs for care goes up and that kind of thing in different aspects of healthcare, we're constantly going to have to revisit healthcare reform. So it's always going to be a constant battle, but this is something we should constantly have committees looking for. The current President Trump, I hate saying those two words side by side together. One thing that President Trump has talked about is um, pharmaceutical costs. That was something his joint uh, address in Congress had talked about. And he had mentioned possibly buying pharmaceuticals overseas and then shipping them to the U.S. to save money, which is kind of mind-blowing to me because, I mean, he's all America first, America first. And the funny thing is the majority of these drugs are made in America. They're sold at lower rates to other countries because the other countries can't afford them. It just so happens that we live in a very wealthy country that's able to pay more, so pharmaceutical companies continue to charge us more, and it ends up uh, hurting the consumer, hurting the patients in the long run. And honestly, unless something is done, like a committee established to evaluate how much prices go when it comes to pharmaceuticals, I feel like that This is a slippery slope we're constantly going to be struggling with, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, we are taking capitalism out of it. That's the whole point of the free market in America. I mean, it's free market to a point, but for example, the guy, was it last year, that was charging a 750% markup for the HIV medication. I mean, that was just literally killing people because nobody can afford to do that. That's essentially, I mean, it's not to that level with the rest of pharmaceutical companies in the United States, but that's ultimately what you're allowed to do for allow them to charge America more than you're charging other countries. You're essentially playing the same game with people. You're playing God with people's lives because they need that medication to live and you're not giving them the ability to do so. Well, and I think, you know, talking about prescription medication and having a free market, um, I think an ideal situation was what happened with the EpiPen. Uh, I guess it was last year now. Um, but then marking it up to, what, $600 per pen. But then CVS, I believe it was. Don't quote me on that. CVS came in with a generic pen that they were able to sell for much lower. And that's how you want to see things benefit people, where, okay, if somebody else is not going to do it, because that is the free market, and we, we want to see that, and we want things to drive that way, because I think that's going to help with some of the cost of prescription medication is is having choices out there. Now, I mean, whether Trump wants to do that with foreign countries or if working on some incentive for free, no generic medication or what the case may be um, here in the U.S. I mean, one problem that I have with all that uh the whole generic thing, I think it's great. I feel like more people should be doing generics because they are a lot cheaper. Don't get me wrong. But having worked in healthcare for 13 years now, I've seen how that actually goes. And a lot of these companies, these pharmaceutical companies, have patents on the medication formulas themselves. So the companies that make the generics aren't allowed to have the prescription stuff for the patent rights on the medications to make the generics 
because it's owned by the wealthy pharmaceutical companies to bank that extra profit off of. So the big pharmaceutical companies are pretty much the player in the house of cards. They control everything. So in that case, because I totally don't know, um, and with your healthcare obviously experience, um, with the EpiPen instance, and you may not know, and that's totally fine, but um, them having a patent on the actual medication and the you know what makes that medication, how do you then come up with generic drugs? With generic drugs, what it is, after the patent rights is over with, you have to be able to make a formula or make a version of it that's not exactly the same. It has to be slightly different somehow. So when you have EpiPen, EpiPen's a registered trademark. They can't call it EpiPen, obviously, even though they can make a generic that does the exact same thing. They have to make it slightly different, so they have to name it something different, and they have to have uh, a slight formula change in comparison to the drug owner. So let's just say the company that makes EpiPen, this exact formula laid out, they have to change some tiny little component on it just by a slight little bit so it's not the same thing or a certain percentage of the patent itself in order to be able to put that pen into production so that people can buy it at a lower rate. Got it. That's fascinating. That's all I did that not works. know that. I mean, that makes total sense. It's, it's yeah, all it is, is, honestly, it's a profit thing. Yeah. Um, you can control that can have percentage things in patents. So if it comes within so much of a percentage of the current patent that's out there, the company that owns that patent can uh, sue you. They can uh, shut you down, all that kind of stuff, and prevent you from going to production because it's so much of a percentage of what their current patent actually is at that moment. That's crazy. And that's another thing that uh, pharmaceutical, com- pharmaceutical companies control the control the cards and control the money in that situation. I mean, there's nothing, honestly, unless some of those patent laws are changed a little bit or there's some kind of market share control or price fixing when it comes to how much pharmaceutical companies can ch- charge for their drugs uh, under insurance reimbursements. I mean, unless we see something like that or a change in reform towards that in particular in healthcare. We're not going to see much of a change in general because uh, a lot of people go broke and die over the ability of not being able to pay for their medications. Unless we have something like that, we can change healthcare laws all we want to, but until that medication changes, I mean, that's really the big killer right there. So when we're talking about having especially a free market and competition. Uh, one of the things that we uh, we had with Obamacare um, and our current laws um, include complex licensing issues that keep insurers state-bound because states have different needs for their insured, um, whereas Trump wants to remove those barriers so that insurance companies can sell across state lines, um, and he thinks that obviously that's going to spur competition and drive down cost. The basic concept of it sounds great. Yeah. So. I mean, I completely agree. When I first, if you don't know a whole lot about healthcare and laws and insurance licensing and how all that stuff works, a lot of like when you first hear that, you're like, oh my God, why didn't they do that so long ago? That was pretty much the key to everything, but it really isn't. So, a lot of these people that are under state funded Medicaid, if Medicaid is still controlled by the states, if you're a Medicaid user and let's say you live five hours from the closest place in your state that takes Medicaid, even though there may be one 30 minutes away in another state, mm-hmm. you still can't go to that one 
because it's a different state's Medicaid system, so they won't pay for that for one. So if you drive away the straight, uh, state lines when it comes to this, the problem you're going to have with that, with a competition issue, it may cost, for example, I mean, I know these are polar opposites when it comes to places, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, it is super cheap for pretty much everything in Omaha, Nebraska. And when you have places like Los Angeles, California, where everything is super expensive. Mm-hmm. So it costs a lot more to take care of somebody and the cost of living and all the cost of healthcare in general in California is so much more expensive. So in urban areas that are highly populated, yeah, it probably will drop, uh, drop down costs considerably. Yeah. But for everywhere else in the state around it, they're going to have to have an influx rising yeah. cost to be able to compensate for everybody else and all these other states and other locations. So metro places, people that live in highly populated like los angeles will get like a huge cut and how much their health care mm-hmm. costs but a lot of the surrounding cities close to california are going to feel hurt and their prices are just going to go through the roof in order to compensate for that i mean i like the idea as soon as i heard it i was like man that's awesome yeah. i mean it doesn't it doesn't work that way <laughs> it would be nice uh, if it worked that way if that was the case if medicaid was kind of what was kind of holding up that issue while we're not fixing the issues with medicaid versus well i think one of the things is like um a lot of people want less federal control with their health care, mm-hmm. so allowing the states to do that. But at the same time, even if they take the barriers down for other insurance companies like Blue Cross and Aetna, Humana, all this kind of stuff, if you take away the state barriers, you still have the state barriers of federal-funded Medicaid. That's always going to be right. there because that is a state-controlled program at that point. It is federally funded, but it's controlled by the states at that point. So it's really not going to help your situation any. And like I said, it's the cost of funding all the metropolitan area people. It's just going to put a burden on everybody else living in whatever state you're in. Could you imagine how complicated healthcare law can be and healthcare policy can be? Yes, I mean, apparently, President, <laughs> right? You would think, I mean, how obvious that is, but President Trump, still hate saying those two words together, President Trump said the words, it's going to be easy to repeal and to replace. And then when we start getting ready to roll out this new health law, you hear the exact, uh, the exact words. Now, I have to tell you, it's an unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that health care could be so complicated. Yeah, when you played that, uh, I thought for a second, I was like, is that Alec Baldwin from SNL? Like, of course, everybody thinks it's going to be complicated. What the hell is your problem? <laughs> right, because you don't expect uh, the president of the United States to say something so ridiculously out of the way. And sadly, I mean, Alec Baldwin as Trump has gotten so much coverage at this point. The way they act and talk, yeah, you can't really tell the difference and they're both saying <laughs> just ridiculous shit so <laughs> absolutely except one of them's doing it to be funny the other one's pretending to be serious <laughs> that's the sad thing about all of this <laughs> well one of the other things that we kind of haven't touched on um but came out with the the new repeal bill um is health savings accounts hsas um individuals under obamacare um have the option to use hsas but most people don't because they require high deductible um, health plans and significant funding but uh with trump care uh, hsas which are tax advantaged medical savings accounts um would be bolstered so he's really pushing the hsas but uh, as you and i discussed earlier that's those things are expensive and it only helps if you have the money that you're able to put back. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, if you've never had an HSA account, I mean, they're very beneficial beneficial for very small things. Like if you wanted to pay for a generic prescription mm-hmm. for a month or something here or there, uh, pay for a chiropractor visit here or there, it's really nice. Especially so if what you have it an employee is, is, that's matching. Yeah, absolutely. If your employer will match it, it's phenomenal. So basically how it works is you pay so much a month from your paycheck into this account. They'll send you a fancy little card. You get its own little account and all this kind of crap. But it's supposed to be used for health-related expenses. Say they take 50 bucks a month out of your account from your paycheck to go to your HSA account. Some employers will match that up to a certain percentage. So let's just say I have it matched to 100%. So if I paid 50 bucks. My employer every month gave me 50 bucks on top of it too. So you have an extra 100 bucks, and that's phenomenal. But the GOP healthcare bill is so dependent on this. It's not saying it's dependent, but they're pushing that idea so much that you can pay all these healthcare bills with these HSA. HSA doesn't pay all that much. It only pays what you pay into it. I mean, yes, your employer matches some of it to a certain percentage, not all the time, sometimes. But once that money runs out, You have nothing left. So if you were depending on that to pay for medications for the month or you were looking for that to pay for a hospital visit or a doctor's appointment or something like that, once you use all that's in there, you have to wait for it to roll around again. It's not just always going to be there and you can be like, oh, I'll use it a little bit and then they'll take my paycheck out next time and fill in the gaps. It doesn't work that way. If the money's not there, the money's not there. You don't get a chance that way. I like HSA. I've used it before. I had it for chiropractors. That's why I said chiropractors so much. <laughs> before I got before I started my doctorate, uh, I was working at that organic chemistry mm-hmm. lab and uh, we had an HSA account and I used to use that thing like crazy. Yeah. And I completely tapped it out yeah. in like six months. Well, and I mean, I think uh, my mom has an HSA that she uses. And I love it because she'll be like, here, go put your prescriptions on this. And I'm like, perfect. Love it. A lot of these HSAs, I mean, they're really, really great uh, theoretically. But like I said, it only pays so much to the point where you've got to choose whether you want how serious is that medical condition? How serious is it that I go to this doctor's appointment? But some people, Jason Chaffet of Utah, has other ideas. How you should be using your money when it comes to paying for your own health care. I want to listen to it from him here now. Rather than getting that new iPhone that they just love and they want to go spend hundreds of dollars on that, maybe they should invest it in their own health care. It's bad, but what I want to say to Jason, don't know him, sure he's a lovely man, but fuck you. Like, those people should be able to spend their money on their iPod or their their iPod. What is this? 2000? Um, their iPhone, their Xbox, whatever they want to spend it on because they shouldn't be dying over not having health care. Absolutely. Like, those people is also a very racist thing to say because I can assume who we mean by those people. <laughs> so fuck you. Right. I mean, it's a really horrible thing when you have to get on national television and brown people over things that it's a pretty common thing nowadays to yeah. have a phone. I'm pretty much how everybody gets along with each other. But, you know, we'll equate that and to a smartphone. Yeah. Screw your smartphone. You need to live first. Yeah. What a, what a great guy from Utah, right? Great representation you got there. 
And I'm sure, I don't know this, so if this is wrong, please let me know. But I'm sure that man has never had to struggle to have health care or to wonder where, you know, if he was going to be able to receive service or or treatment or, or per, you know, be able to afford his prescription. Exactly. So he doesn't know. I mean, a lot of these uh, congressional leaders, they get great, really, really great health care, and they've been in office for absolutely freaking forever, so they've never really had to worry about anything. Jason Chavez has never really had to struggle for anything. I don't ever want to hear this guy. If he ever listens, I hope he listens to this, honestly, because I want him to know the people that he's talking about that can't afford anything because of they're so concerned about these smartphones and not being able to, I don't know, live. It doesn't really seem like he was struggling too hard when his dad became part owner of a professional soccer team in the 70s. So uh, this guy does not understand what it's like to hope welfare checks come to be able to afford to pay for food for your kids, much less if something happens and they get hurt. This guy is the perfect example of somebody that has absolutely no clue what he is voting for, what it means for the people that he represents. And I mean, we talk a lot about access to health care and affordable health care and it being you know life or death kind of situations and i mean yeah absolutely that is the case sometimes but just on a day-to-day basis you should be able to go to a doctor if you are sick you should be able to afford medication if you are sick regardless of if that you know sickness is life or death like absolutely people should not be contemplating how serious is it There's a lot of people that don't want to go to the doctor because they can't afford to pay for bills. People are losing their homes over this. Like I've mentioned many, many times because that really upsets me that that is the number one cause of bankruptcy in America is unpaid health care bills. But people should not have to outweigh of how serious something is in order to go see a physician to receive care. I feel like in my opinion, which take it as you will, I mean I've been at this a while, health care should be a basic human right not for a privileged group of people that make drastically more money than others. And we have so much to learn. If you look at the list of healthcare systems in the world, the United States is 37th on that list, like I mentioned earlier. We have so much to learn as a nation from our neighboring nations, our neighbors across the pond. If we would just open our ears... And would listen to some of the policies that they have in place uh, place that benefit so many of their people and see why they're so high ranked to providing care to the people that live in those countries. The United States could benefit drastically from that. Right. So we talked about, I mean, you've mentioned a couple of times that the U.S. ranks around 37th in the in the world for our health care system. Um, number one or right around the top is France. Um even when it comes to their approach to regulating the cost of healthcare services in their country, I mean, it differs drastically. Um, France has an organization with inside the country that monitors the spending for services around the country. So they look at trends and if a certain, um, if spending for a certain kind of drug or service rises in a particular area, um, this group has the authority to go in and reduce the cost of the drugs or the services to make it more accessible and easy to supply, um, the people with the needs, you know, of the market. Absolutely. And that's something we had talked about earlier when regulated when like pharmaceutical costs and that kind of thing. But at the same time, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want a single payer system. I don't want socialized healthcare, that kind of thing. France is number one and they're not a single payer system either. What they have yep. is a system 
that the government pays for a good chunk of it, and whatever's left over, you have your own private insurance that picks up the rest of it. So you still have your own insurance. You still pay for your own insurance, but the government does help you. That is not a single-payer system. It's similar to something that the United States has now, but not to the extent because we don't allow for, like you said, France has that committee that regulates things and has the authority to overturn Mm -hmm. prices and stuff based off the needs. The United States could benefit so drastically from something like that. We just have to be willing to do so. The greed, the egos have to go away. And we have to realize it's not about the dollars. It's about the people. Yeah. So France has also implemented a common fee schedule across the country that requires that services provide a standard price for procedures, uh, regardless of the health uh, insurance policies that are in place. So regardless of what's happening, you know, wherever you go, you're going to be paying the exact same amount for those services. That's right. And that takes away a lot of the stuff, too, because you don't have to price shop for whatever is cheaper for you to be able to receive Mm -hmm. the service. And that's a great thing, too, honestly. That's something the United States definitely needs. Yeah. So basically, to kind of mimic France's healthcare system to the U.S., it would be like utilizing um, a Medicare system for all of the citizens, and then any additional costs not covered by a universal Medicare system, patients should be allowed to carry supplemental insurance. Which they do. Um, Right. So France found it very effective to use supplemental insurance programs to provide any missing benefits not covered in the universal program. Um, The U.S. would also need to implement aggressive government bargaining with hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, and doctors. Uh, France put uh, a lot of emphasis on bargaining, uh, where the U.S. kind of greatly lacks in that area. Yeah, because it seems like it's... You know, the companies that have the products, have the pharmaceuticals, have the technology that you need, they kind of make the rules as they go. There's no oversight. I mean, it doesn't have any oversight. I mean, it's just completely unregulated to the point where they can charge what they want to because they know people need it and they're going to pay for it regardless. So if we had this bargaining and we had like these actually just barter through and make sure that people were paying something Mm -hmm. similar or something close, I mean, at all, I mean, I feel like that would go a long way and end up saving people millions in the long run across the United States every year. Yeah. And I mean, in a lot of cases, the government in the U.S. is even prohibited from implementing bargaining systems. Um, Medicare Part D, the government, the U.S. government is explicitly prohibited from bargaining for lower cost, um, lower drug costs associated with Medicaid Part D. And that's unfortunate because the Medicare, uh, the Medicaid uh, and Medicare Act uh, gets there's so many bills introduced every year uh, on that to be amended. But the moment you talk about changing something to Medicare, uh, people go up in arms about it. And I get it. It's a crucial program. It almost didn't get implemented to begin with. So many people were against it when it first came out. But uh, with a system like that, you're going to have to adapt to change uh, with the times of healthcare uh, as they go through. And as technology changes, as drugs change, uh, you're going to have to be able to amend that act to be able to compensate and keep up with the progression of life, honestly. And I think in a lot of the um, higher-ranked and higher-rated countries with their their um, healthcare plans – One of the big things is that there's just universality. Um, All the residents must be covered by a public insurance plan run by either their state or local governments. Um, But by having that coverage, they can be treated literally anywhere in the country. Um, And it doesn't come by limiting doctors and hospitals for patients that they can see or use. um, And they're getting all the full benefits of their health care system. Canada has, uh, in particular, has no financial barriers to care. at the point of services 
like where they are, um, that will continue to be in the U.S. And I've heard a lot of people against the Canadian healthcare system saying, but you don't get to pick your doctors, you don't, you have to wait for forever. Well, if you look at it this way, for one, I mean, the last time I called my doctor and asked when the next appointment was, it was five weeks out anyway, so I'm not mm-hmm. exactly getting in there tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Two, you don't, I mean, you do, like, for primary care doctors and stuff like that, you do pick your own doctor when it comes to the Canadian healthcare service. The point where it comes in where they pick your doctor for you is if it's, like, a specialty service. Let's just say where you live and you needed heart surgery and there's not a heart surgeon for, like, 200 miles that could do the procedure. Yeah, they're going to pick the doctor for you because there's nobody around you that can do it. So they will send you out there for that, but they don't have health insurance cards per se for companies in Canada, you have a Mm -hmm. health card is what they call it. And the health card qualifies you to receive care all over the entire country. And there's no in network at a network kind of thing. If you're there, you're a Canadian system, you're enrolled in the program, you have care. The national healthcare service in the United Kingdom, very similar system set up. They pay a little bit more out of their taxes on their paychecks, but they can literally go anywhere in the entire country, no matter what the issue is. And they can have it done, and they still have four or five-week wait times just like it was when you would go to your primary care physician. And like I said, the only difference, just like the Canadian stuff, is if you need a specialty surgery, they will take care of that for you, but you may have to go somewhere else for a specialty surgery. Uh, I personally have one of my best friends that lives in the U.K. had something done with that. He tore his ACL. The closest physician to where he lived in Scotland was down in Manchester, England, so he had to hop on a train that the federal government paid for him to go down. They put him in a hotel room the night before his surgery and for two nights afterwards to make sure that he had a recovery. And the nurse stopped by the hotel to make sure that he was doing okay while he was there before he was well enough to go back home from his surgery. And he still got all his rehab appointments paid for from the national health care mm-hmm. system. And all they had to do, he pays an extra 20 pounds a paycheck, which is like $35. I mean, those mm-hmm. are other options. I'm definitely not saying... The Canadian and UK system is drastically different than what the French healthcare system is, but there's so many more options that we're not utilizing or even thinking about when it comes to our healthcare because we're all concerned about the money, the numbers, the money, the numbers. And yes, those things are extremely important. There are so many options out there that could ultimately save Americans everywhere mm-hmm. money in the long run and give them just as good quality care for a fraction of the cost. Yeah. And I mean, so America's huge, obviously. We have a lot of people that live here. So there's not going to be that one, that one size fits all that we can say, okay, we're going to take France's plan and, you know, implement it here because that's not going to work. No, Um, not at all. But, you know, to kind of wrap things up, I think that there's things that we could absolutely be doing better. Um, That's not Obamacare and it's not part of the repeal bill, but I don't think that we're opening up a platform yet to really discuss that. I think the current state and the GOP, all they're focused on right now is getting Obamacare out instead of really thinking about what would be a good thing um, to replace it with. Exactly. And a big problem right now, the GOP are having a really hard time deciding how they want to go about doing this replacement that's coming through. And uh, honestly, the person I think has said it best when it comes through of how they're going to do this GOP thing is a man that I never thought in a million years I would ever agree with politically in any way, shape, or form. But uh, former Speaker of the House, uh, John Boehner, I'm going to let you listen to what his thoughts were when it comes to the repeal and placement, uh, replacement of Obamacare. Here we go. I shouldn't have called it repeal and replace because that's not what's going to happen. They're basically going to fix uh, the, the flaws and uh, put a more 
a conservative uh, box around it. In the 25 years that I served in the United States Congress, Republicans never, ever, one time agreed on what a health care proposal should look like. Not once. And all this happy talk that went on in uh, November and December and January about repeal, repeal, repeal. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll do replace, replace. I started laughing because if you pass repeal without replace, first, anything that happens is your fault. You broke it. Uh, and secondly, <laughs> as I told, uh, as I told uh, some of the Republican uh, leaders when they asked, I said, uh, if you pass repeal without replace, you'll never pass replace because they will never, ever agree on what the bill should be. Perfect always becomes the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you've got to ma you marry them together. It's the only chance we'll have to get it done. That's why it's taken a lot longer than, uh, than people had anticipated. He kind of wrapped it up. I, I think that you get one shot to really put a good effort in to have the American people trust you and, and know that you have their best interest at heart. And if you focus so much on just wanting to, to get rid of something because you don't think it works without saying, okay, but this is what works or knowing what works to, to get the ball ruling on that, then you've just done a disservice to everybody. Absolutely. And I feel like with a Republican president, Republican Senate, and a Republican-controlled House, this is their opportunity to put that bill into place. And with the midterms coming up in 2018, if this bill does not fill or provide what, it's, what they're trying to accomplish and it ends up costing millions of people their health care across the United States and jacks the cost up, the Republicans are going to take a huge hurt in the midterm elections. And I will guarantee that if that is the case, that you're going to see a huge swing in the numbers in the House. Definitely. Yes. Absolutely. So it is definitely the Republicans to lose at this point. But with the fighting and bickering amongst themselves, like former Speaker Boehner said, they're never going to agree on the way the health, be uh, health bill should go. So it's just one of those we're going to bide our time, and I have a feeling it's going to end up like he said. We can't agree on anything, so we're just going to fix different little provisions in uh, Obamacare that we really didn't agree with or we wish we could change because nobody can agree on anything else. So definitely if you're listening, if you have any comments, questions, anything like that, our website, happypillspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is... At Happy Pills Happy Pod. Pills <laughs> Give us your questions, comments, definitely. We'll definitely talk about them on the show on our next episode coming out in a couple of weeks. But, yeah, we want to hear what you think about it. What do you think can be done to improve the proposed GOP health care bill? Or if not even that, what would you do differently in Obamacare? Uh, don't just call and complain. I mean, if you're actually going to provide something, definitely give us what you would do better or what you think would work better or an idea that you would try because it's one thing to complain, but unless you're offering solutions, there's really no point in even bothering, honestly. <laughs> and also on the website here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start utilizing um, the blog portion just to write about a couple small things that, you know, necessarily we can't dedicate a whole podcast to, but I think are important uh, or we think, you know, is important for you guys to know and to read about. Um, so if you have any suggestions for that, we would love to hear them. I'm working on one right now that hopefully I'll have up by the end of the week. Um, um, 
but yeah, no, we'd love to hear anything back from you. Definitely. And there's like a contact page on there too. So if you have any questions or comments, you can always put on the website as well. Uh, We definitely hope you guys enjoyed listening and learned a little something and listened to us bickering about the planes in the backgrounds and our friends laughing like hyenas. It's always a good time. It's always a great time. It's going to be so huge. I can't even. So huge. So huge. So thank you guys for listening. (laughs) We'll talk to you guys next time. All righty. Bye bye.